Uh, good morning. Glad you made it. Uh, welcome to summer. Summer is uh, gone. It, uh, we had it for, we had uh, like a couple days and now it's out and so uh, we get to begin uh, the summer in the northwest, which means we're going to have clouds. So uh, anyway, hey, we're, my name is Jake. If I haven't met you yet, uh, we're in the middle of a series. We started it a couple weeks ago. I'm excited because this is my first time to actually talk in this series. So Bob got to talk a couple weeks ago, and then Dave got to speak last week. And so today, um, I'm super pumped to chat about this. Uh, the series is Disciples, if you can read on the screens. Uh, when you came in, you probably noticed, as Dave said last week, there's a little little purpose statement on the wall there that says uh, what we're about. We're about making disciples together. And so if you're wondering why we're doing a series on disciples, uh, it's real simple. We figured we might as well talk about what we're trying to do. Uh, it probably foundational to our, uh, to our fulfilling our purpose. And so we're going to talk about what a disciple is. And so um, most of us have been taught that a disciple is someone who reads their Bible, uh, who prays before meals, who gives generously, who walks a straight and narrow, who listens to country music. Um, those, are, those are all standards and all good things. Um, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to redefine, or actually a better word would say, we're trying to rediscover uh, what a disciple is. And so Bob did a great job. He defined the word a couple, little, a couple weeks ago. He let us know that a disciple means follower, learner, padawan. It's kind of like an imitator. An imitator, someone who's trying to imitate their rabbi, to be just like them. And I love what Bob was saying a couple weeks ago when he was saying that there's no equivalent in this society to the amount of effort that they put in to try to be like their rabbi, to try to actually, they wanted to be their rabbi. They wanted to be him um, in whatever sense they could. And so they did everything. They followed him. I think you even said followed him in the bathroom. They followed him into his bedroom. They followed him everywhere he went. We're not asking that you would do that, but we want to be like Jesus. And so one of the characteristics, one of the things that Jesus did uh, is the topic we're talking about today, and that was this, is he made disciples, right? That's our purpose statement. He made disciples. And it was Jonathan Alexander from North Shore who actually coined this phrase, or I don't know if he coined it, but at least he made it um, uh, me aware of it, but disciples make disciples. That's what we'll be talking about today, the actual disciples make disciples. That is the topic of evangelism. That's the topic of witnessing. That's the, what we call around here missional living. And so if we're going to have maybe an honest moment right from the very beginning, I would ask you how many of you feel inadequate when it comes to sharing your faith or talking about Jesus? Anybody? Am I the only one? There you go. All right. So most of us, myself included, feel inadequate. And I, I do this for a living, but yet sometimes I find nervous in my stomach when all of a sudden I'm going to have a conversation about Jesus because I, like you, care about what people think. I want people to uh, think good of me, and, and yet somehow Jesus is very divisive when we bring him up, especially in this culture. And so, um, so yeah, we're, we feel inadequate, and, and sometimes we don't do it correctly. And in fact, just so that you know, hopefully it brings you some comfort. There are very great Christians who feel the exact same way and, and have done a very poor job at sharing their faith or sharing the gospel. Uh, one of them is actually a guy named Eugene Peterson. Anybody know who Eugene Peterson is? He's a, an amazing man of God. He actually wrote this. He wrote the, he didn't write the Bible, but he wrote the message version of the Bible. He translated it into everyday language. And he too struggled when it came to sharing his faith. 
Uh, he grew up in a Christian home, a devout Christian home. He loved God from an early age. Uh, he wanted to serve Jesus. Um, and in the first grade, he was confronted by a bully someone who would pick on him named Garrison Johns. He was in the second grade, and for some reason, he chose Eugene as his target, as the one that he wanted to go after. And Eugene wrote about this in one of their encounters, and here's what he said. He said, I had been, I had been prepared from the wider, for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing verses like, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. And I don't know how Garrison John knew that about me. Some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He eventually found out that I was a Christian, and he taunted me by calling me a Jesus sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mom told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. Pray for Garrison Johns. That's what my mom said, too. I don't know what it is with moms. One day, I was um, with seven or eight friends when Garrison caught up to me and started jabbing me. That's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. And to my surprise and to his, I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pinned his arms with my knees, and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. <laughs> exactly, too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson in the snow. This is Eugene Peterson, the guy who wrote the Bible, right? <laughs> I said to Garrison, say uncle. He would not say it. So I hit him again, more blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> he wouldn't say it. So I hit him again, more blood. And I tried again, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Finally, Garrison John said it, and he was my first Christian convert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if beating someone up is the best approach to reaching people that are far from God, but I just want you to know, even for Eugene Peterson, a great man of God, this is a hard deal. This is difficult. This is hard for us. It is hard for me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that. What does it mean to live missionally? What does it mean to witness? How do we actually do so? And, um, and so today we're going to talk about an obscure disciple. A man who got this principle but is not very well known. Not very well known at all. Two weeks ago, Bob got to talk about John. John wrote five books of the Bible. Lots of material on John. He's throughout it, um, throughout the Bible. Then last week, Dave talked about Peter, right? Peter is the leader. He, I mean, he is all over in the Gospels. And so today, we're going to talk about a guy who was written about, and specifically, we're going to talk through the book of John, Okay, so John wrote about this guy, and he is the brother of Jesus. His name is Andrew, and there really is only three passages in the Bible that tell his story. Only three areas. I mean, there's a couple little places where they reference him in a list and things like that, but for the most part, these are the only three passages, and we're going to walk through each one of them. But first, let me give you a little bit about what we know about Andrew. 
Andrew was born in a village called Bethsaida, and so that's in the, by the Sea of Galilee, and the, the city of Bethsaida is known as a house of fishermen. That's what it means. And uh, ironically, uh, Andrew was a fisherman by trade. He had a dad named John. He had a brother named Simon who would become Peter. Uh, before he met Jesus, he was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. So just like Jesus had disciples, he was a rabbi. John the Baptist had disciples as well. Before, um, after that, um, he became probably one of the first, if not the first, disciple of Jesus. And he followed him for three years. After Jesus' death, he didn't write any books of the Bible, but he went on telling people about his faith and his encounters with Jesus until at one point in time he became a martyr. He was killed for his faith. Um, and traditionally speaking, um, Andrew was bound. He wasn't nailed to a cross like Jesus. But unlike Jesus, he was crucified to a cross. It's called a crux de casada, which is basically a cross in the shape of an X. And so that's how he hung. That's how he died. That is Andrew. There's only three passages that he is spoke of in. But he has this one behavior. It's amazing. That happens in every single one of the times he's mentioned. And so we're going to go through all three of those passages right now. And the first one starts in John chapter 1, verse 35. Here's what it says. The next day, John, okay, now this is John the Baptist, was there again. Where was he? He was doing what John does. He was baptizing people on the eastern bank of the River Jordan, but he wasn't alone. Because he was with two of his disciples, and we'll go on to find that one of those disciples is Andrew. Verse 36, when he, being John, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, which means Messiah, the promised one, the Christ. When the two disciples heard John say this, they followed him. So in this case, they didn't say a prayer and I follow you, Jesus. They literally left what they were doing, got up, followed, and tailed him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, which I think is kind of funny. You just start following a guy. Jesus is kind of noticing them behind. There's people following me. So what does Jesus do? Um, he asks them, what do you want? Which is a fair question. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> In other words, they're saying, can we come with you? Is what they're not actually, they're imposing upon him. We'd like to come with you. Uh, like a, a couple weeks ago, we, we all do this, right? But a couple weeks ago, I did this. I was chatting with the Chadwicks in my office, and I was asking them about vacation in the summer and things like that. And I asked them where they were going. They're like, Montana, we're going to Montana. I'm like, oh, well, I like Montana, you know. <laughs> That's a great place. I love Montana. What are you going to be doing in Montana? Oh, we'll be fishing. Fishing? Well, fi I love to fish. That's amazing. When are you guys going to go? Oh, this time. Wow, my gosh, I think we're actually free um, during that time. You, you know, you guys mind if we come? And they're like, no, come on board. So we're going on vacation <laughs> this summer with the Chadwicks to go fishing in Montana, right? It's amazing. So they're imposing upon Jesus. Where are you going? Because we want to go with you. And so Jesus was gracious, and he said, come, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. How amazing would that be to just spend the day with Jesus? It was about 4 in the afternoon. Verse 40. Now, Andrew, here's our guy. This is our guy. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And then catch this. 
The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And this is huge. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. A couple things to notice here right from the very beginning. One is this is Andrew's obscurity. Okay, his obscurity. He doesn't get noticed. Andrew's kind of like an afterthought. He's the quiet guy in the corner. He was not the homecoming queen. He doesn't have a lot of followers on Twitter. He's like George Harrison of the Beatles. Nobody knows who he is. He doesn't have the big name. Um, in fact, other disciples have nicknames. Like they were given nicknames. So Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. John, he gave himself the name as the one Jesus loved. There's Peter, um, who was given the name, his actual name was Simon, and then G Jesus gave him the name Cephas, which translates to Peter, which means Petra. But when Andrew is introduced, did you notice how he was introduced? As Simon Peter's brother, right? Not even Andrew, this guy who did these great things. The only way that he's known, even during this time when this um, passage was written, he is known as Simon Peter's brother. Peter is larger than life, right? Larger than life. And for the rest of Andrew's life, he will spend his life in Peter's shadow. He will not be noticed. He will not be the one that stands out. But you know what? I think Andrew is totally okay with that. And the reason I know that is the second thing here is look at how Andrew responds. What was the first thing that Andrew did? What did he do? He went and found his brother. He went and grabbed Peter by the arm, and he's like, brother, you've got to come with me. I think I found the Christ. And he grabs Peter by the shoulder, and he drags him over to Jesus. And he's like, he's like, Jesus, this is the guy I was telling you about. This is my brother. This is Peter. I know he's a little rough around the edges and whatnot, but, man, he's got a good heart. Do you think that he could be, like, in our little club? Do you think he can join us? That's what Andrew does. That is exactly what Andrew does. He's not sitting there going, oh, I'm... He wants to grab the one he loves the most, and he wants to bring him to the one that he's super excited about. And that is Jesus. That's what Andrew does. He brings people to Jesus. And that's what disciples do. That's the whole point of today. Disciples bring people to Jesus. For 2,000 years, people have bring, been bringing people to Jesus one by at a time. One person bringing another person to Jesus. And according to John... This is the very first time that someone has brought someone else to Jesus and says, hey, this is my friend. This is my brother. And that person's name, that was Andrew. Disciples bring people to Jesus. The next time we see Andrew is in chapter 6, a very famous event. A crowd develops, obviously you maybe have heard of this, of 5,000 people. And the context is this, they got hungry. And so Jesus asked Philip if he could or how we could pay for food for them. And Philip is like, man, we don't got the budget for that, Jesus. That would take literally a person's half a year of wages to be able to do that. We don't have the funds, we can't scrape that together. And while Jesus and Philip were having this conversation... The text says that another of his disciples, here it is, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, so obscure, so insignificant, so unnoticeable that he is identified as Simon Peter's brother, and, and Andrew spoke up. Here is a boy 
with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then Andrew states the obvious, but how far will they go among so many? What is amazing about Andrew, the man who doesn't get noticed, is that he notices someone else who doesn't get noticed. A little boy. A little boy who's got something and is willing to share it. And, and something to notice here is that Andrew doesn't have it all figured out. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't even know if this little boy and his fish and his loaves are even going to help. The only thing that Andrew knows is that I've got to get these people to Jesus. He's got this. Let me get him to Jesus, and maybe Jesus can do something with it. He doesn't have it all figured out. And, and just so that you know, if you wait until you have it all figured out, until you have all the answers to coming to share your faith, you will never share your faith. Because you will never have it all figured out. Our job, Andrew's job, was just to get them to Jesus. And Jesus will make the miracle happen. And so the result in this case was a huge miracle. And you think about this. You think about this boy that he might have imagined he goes home that night. And he, he goes home and he tells his mom. And mom is, everyone always, pre preachers always say that they grabbed his lunch. It wasn't his lunch. That was probably their, their food for that week, right? And so they, the, he was supposed to grab the food. He goes home and the mom's like, where's the food? And like, mom, I got to tell you. This most amazing thing happened. I met this guy named Jesus, and, and he took my fish and our loaves, and he made them, he like fed 5,000 people. Mom, it was crazy, right? And that boy never would have been able to tell that story if it wasn't for Andrew. And I bet you when he told the story, Andrew's name was never even mentioned. Probably not even mentioned. But disciples bring people to Jesus, and that's what Andrew does. Last time we see, the third time we see Andrew is in chapter 12. It's almost Passover. It's right before the Last Supper. And the context of this is that um, John tells us that there were some Greeks in, in town. And that doesn't mean that they're from the country of Greece. It just means that they were Gentiles, but they probably spoke Greek. And so they actually go up, and apparently they're interested in Israel, and they're interested in the religion of Israel. And so they go up to Philip again. Ironically, they go up to Philip, and they ask Philip. Probably they go to Philip because Philip is a Greek name, and so they think that he might be able to speak Greek. And so they go up to him, and they say, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Here you got people walking right up and say, Hey, sir, we'd like to, uh, we'd like to see Jesus. We want to meet him. And what's so interesting is that Philip doesn't actually take them to Jesus. He doesn't actually take them there, and here's why. Because it's dicey. For a Gentile to speak to a rabbi, that is just, there's actual rules about that. That that wasn't supposed to happen. And so for a disciple to take a Gentile and, and start this conversation and introduce them to Jesus, that's a very dicey, difficult thing to do, and it may look bad upon Philip. So what does Philip do? Philip instead actually takes these guys to Andrew. He takes them to Andrew, um, and, and here's what it says in verse 22. It says, Philip went to tell Andrew. What did he tell them about? Their desire to see Jesus. For some reason, Philip believes that, that uh, Andrew is the right guy to consult. 
He's the right guy to go to. And so they take, he takes these guys to, um, to Andrew, and then Andrew has no problem whatsoever to bring them to his rabbi. He has learned in the past that what I have to do is I simply have to take people to Jesus. And when I do that, amazing things happen. And so Andrew and Philip together take these Gentiles to Jesus. And it's from this moment in the Gospel of John. This is crazy. It's from this moment that the gospel, the good news, the hope of Jesus opens up, not just in Jerusalem, not just to the Jews, but it moves to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, to the world, and eventually to us. And it's pivotal at this moment right here in history. And Andrew had something to do with that. Andrew was perhaps the first guy to get the fact, the fact that every single person is a candidate to come and see Jesus. Disciples bring people to Jesus. And so that's Andrew's story. That's his whole story. Every time we see him, every time he's in scripture, he's doing the same thing. He's bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. Andrew does not have all the answers. Um, All he did is know that he has to bring people to Jesus, and disciples bring people to Jesus. Jesus had one mission. He had one mission from the first calling of the first disciples. He said, come, come. Let's fish for men. I want you to fish for men. Follow me. I've got a new job for you. I want you to bring people to me. And then three years later, right before he was going to ascend into heaven, he gives these final words. words. It's the same message. Jesus said, but you, and he's talking to his disciples, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my, and here's a huge word here, witnesses. And then notice the three locations. They're important here. In Jerusalem, and then all Judea, and in Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. That was God's plan. That was God's plan. Jesus had trained them. He had instructed them. He had commissioned them to do what? To go and make disciples. To go and be fishers of men. To go and bring people to Jesus. But guess what happens? They don't go. If you read the book of Acts, they do not go. They actually huddle up in Jerusalem. And why do they do so? It's cool because they created this remarkable community. This amazing community where people are sharing in all things and they're bringing in, you know, properties and money and they're sharing and they're giving to the poor and they're taking care of each other. And the Bible says they had everything in common, right? And so God, obviously this was not his plan. He takes matters into his own hands. He gives his disciples, the church, a little bump, a little shove out of the nest, out of Jerusalem. And here's how he does it in Acts 8. He says this, on that day... A great persecution broke out against the church. So where was that persecution? Right where they were. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout. And then notice the two following places. Judea and Samaria. Exactly where Jesus wanted them to go. Right? God gets his work done no matter how it is. There was a problem. And you see, it's the same problem that we have here today. And that is this. Far too many churches have Christians inside of them that are such good friends and make such a great community. But we have no relationships outside of the church with people who are far from God. That is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. It is not the Andrew way. Imagine if you will, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk about the Seahawks, John, in a positive way. Um, <laughs> 
Imagine there was a football team, right? The Seahawks, who just loved their huddles. They had wonderful huddles, right? And they'd get together, and they're all close, and they loved being close. And they're in there like, man, this is great. We're a team. This is amazing. And they're loving their huddles, and they're thinking, this is safe. This is good. I want to stay here. I feel so close to you guys. Because I don't want to go out on the field. Because when I go out on the field, man, people try to hurt me. <laughs> they try to hit me. They try to knock me down. It's safe in here. So I think, you know what, guys, let's just stay in the huddle. What kind of record would the Seahawks have if they literally were on the field and they never got out of their huddle? They just stayed inside of their huddle. They wouldn't have a good record at all. But catch this. The world does not care how great our huddle is. It does not care. They are wondering if anybody inside of the huddle will get out of the huddle and get into the game and care about somebody who looks different, acts different, thinks different, dresses different, and actually believes different than they do. <laughs> the, oh, that was awkward. The, <laughs> the huddle, you guys, catch this is not the point of the game. It is not the point of the game. The huddle is not an end to itself. Sundays, right now, this moment, this is our huddle, right? This is what we come together to do. This is our huddle time. We come together to get a plan and then to get in the game. And so right now, the hope is you would get encouragement, you'd be inspired, you'd get educated. We'd get our assignments and we'd put our hands in the middle and we would say, let's go. And guess what? We'd actually go. The reason we go, you guys, is just like Andrew, to bring people to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. Our goal is not to create more well-dressed, more well-behaved, more well-off people and society because there are a lot of well-off, well-behaved, well-intentioned people who are going to hell. People need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need us to get out of the huddle. Acts 4.12 says this. It says, salvation is found in no one else, talking just about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Friends, our task, our job, our mandate, our responsibility is to get in the game. To get in the game. By bringing people to Jesus. Disciples bring people to Jesus. And so let's talk straight for just a second, okay? I want to have a very straightforward conversation. And yes, Joel's going to come on up. Here's what it is. This is not easy. I get what I'm asking. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. And like I said, this is not my area of expertise. When it comes to spiritual gifts, evangelism is not on my docket. And it's not on very many people's. But hear me very clearly in this. At Arbor, bringing people to Jesus is an expectation. This church will not work, all right, unless we bring people to Jesus. Unless, like, there's not an option here. This is, if you're taking a seat here, that's your calling, that's your responsibility. Even if you're a brand new Christian, you're thinking, well, I just came to know Jesus. And you want me to bring people to Jesus? Yes, I absolutely do. 
That is your calling. That is your commission. And to be really clear, the call is to intentionally develop genuine relationships with people who are far from God and bring them to Jesus. Key word there. Jesus, not church. Okay? Bring people to Jesus, not church. Andrew didn't grab people and then run them to the tabernacle and run them to the temple. He didn't do that. What did he do? He brought people to Jesus, to a relationship with Jesus. In his day and age, he could simply grab them, walk them over there, and this is Jesus, right? It was a lot easier. We could have done that, right? But Jesus is where now? He's in heaven, and he's in us, in our heart. And so how do we do that? We go and we talk about Jesus. We talk about the life change that we have inside of us. We truly do. We just don't pan it off. A lot of churches are designed so that you can bring them to church. We've reduced the Great Commission to bring your friend to church so the pastor can give a message and then they'll get saved. It's not working. It is not working. In this area, this, this approach is not happening, so we want to try a different approach. And that is put the responsibilities back on the people and say the way that it is in God's word and have you guys and me share our faith with the people that are surrounding us. This is not my job to, to share Christ with the people you're in contact with. I truly am not up here for entertainment's sake. I promise you on that. I know what my job is as a pastor. Ephesians 4 makes it very clear. Here's what it says. This is my job. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, to the apostles, to the prophets, to the evangelists, and to the pastors. That's me. And to the teachers. That's me again. Their responsibility, here it is, is to equip God's people. For what? To do his work. To do his work. To bring people to Jesus. And I don't know why. For some reason, God asked me to head up this huddle and to relay the place. And so here's the play and here's the call for today. All right? If it weren't uncomfortable before, you're going to be right now. People are hurting. People are far from God. And so right now, I, in fact, you can even close your eyes on this. Close your eyes and I want you to think of someone. Think of one person, not five, not ten, not three, not whatever, just one person who is a real face, is a real name, and they are far from Jesus. And maybe that's your brother, maybe that's your family member, maybe that's a friend, but somebody that is far from God. I want you to think about who they are. You guys got it? You got that name? You got that face? So here's where it's going to get uncomfortable. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray for them. And you're like, Jake, that's great. Thank you. I would love to pray for them. No, I actually mean right now, in this moment. And here's how I'm going to ask you to pray for them. It's going to be crazy. Don't freak out on me. Out loud. In this moment, right here with everyone in this place. You're like, oh, man, somebody's going to hear me. Yep. And if you can't pray for them in a church, you probably can't talk to them outside of the church. And so I'm literally, we're going to take one minute, one minute on the clock. There's no countdown. But I want you to out loud pray for that person. Call them by name. Ask God's Holy Spirit to be upon them and to draw them to himself. And know that you play a part in that. So let's take two seconds right now. Let's take one 
minute, and I want you to pray for them. Go ahead, and I want you to do it out loud. Come on. Somehow, God can decipher all those prayers at the same time. All right. Go ahead and you can look at me. The, uh, we're not done, actually. <laughs> the next thing I want you to do, this is very practical. We all have cell phones. Most of us do. I literally want you to pull it out, and I want you to text that person. If you don't have their email or you don't have their, their message or their, their, their phone number, they're probably on Facebook. If you haven't downloaded that app, ask the person next to you. <laughs> and here's what I want you to do. I want you to send them a message in this moment. You want to know why? We're initiating conversation. Now, you don't need to say, uh, you know, text them and say, hey, just want you to know the pastor asked me to uh, text you right now. And I want you to know uh, that I'm praying for you, and I hope you find Jesus someday because, you know, it's bad. So, no, I don't want you to do that. I literally want you, it can be as simple as I'm thinking about you. You have been on my mind. How are things? But I want you to text them in this moment, start a conversation, and then let's see where it goes. Some of you don't have phones, I can tell. When the person's done on your right or your left, go ahead and grab their phone be awkward coming from you in a text <laughs> but truly write them right now it does not have to be a super spiritual conversation you're just starting the conversation just know that you're leading it with intentionality because I just think what happens is when we walk out of this building we just get too busy and we don't do this praying for and communicating with and caring for these people every day. When you're done, you can look at me because I'm not sure who's done and who's not. said it many times, the reason why we started this church, and actually I wrote it out for the first time when I was doing this talk, and I think this is my new 
life purpose statement is to help the hurting find their way to heaven. That's what I exist on this planet to do, is to help the hurting find their way to heaven. How do we do that? How is that even possible? It's the Andrew way. It's the only way. It is taking one person, one at a time, to Jesus, not to church. You can bring people to church, that's fine, but I want you to at least have a God-Christ conversation before you get here. Don't leave that job to me. I'm not good at it. That's not what Sundays are for. But bringing them to Jesus, that's what we're trying to do. Disciples bring people to Jesus. Imagine, if you will, in heaven, someday down the road, Peter's having a conversation, and there's a crowd of people that are surrounding him. And why is there a crowd? Because Peter did a whole lot of things, right? They're asking him questions like, hey, what was it like to walk with Jesus? What was it like to walk on water? You know, when you took that sword out and cut that guy's ear off, what was that like when Jesus pasted it right back onto his head? And he'll have conversations and he'll share his experiences. And somewhere else in heaven, there'll be a, another guy. He'll be old then at that point or he'll be older. And he'll be this, he's like, well, when I was a kid, when I was a boy, I had a couple fish and some loaves. And Jesus did a miracle at him. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so many people were fed and they weren't even just fed. They were saved. They came to know Jesus that day. And then somewhere else, there'll be a couple guys, a couple Gentiles. And they're like, you know what? What was nuts is we were one of the very first outsiders to find our way in. And then look at this. In the presence of Jesus for eternity. And at the same time that all those conversations are happening, somebody will be on a walk. He's not very well known. You may not know him. He's Simon Peter's brother. Right? Not super popular. But all of those people, Peter and a Peter, the boy, those 5,000 would not be where they were if it wasn't for the fact that Andrew spoke up and that he brought them to Jesus. It's the Andrew way, right? And he may not get noticed and he may walk past and maybe Peter's like, hey, wait, look, there's Andrew. He's the reason that I'm here. He's the reason he came. He was the one who introduced me to Jesus. He got this whole thing started. Maybe that's you. Maybe you go in the shadows. Maybe you go unnoticed. Maybe you'll never stand up on a stage. Heaven knows I don't want to, right? Maybe you, get, you don't get noticed all the time. But in heaven, guess who knows about Peter and about the boy and about, about these Gentiles? Andrew knows. And Jesus knows. And that's all that matters. Let's bring people to Jesus. Disciples bring people to Jesus.